Money FM 89.3. Best of drive time. Under the radar. You're listening to Money FM 89.3, and it's now time for Under the Radar with me, Chua Tian. Now, studying the microorganisms in our gut and developing solutions to address health issues and develop probiotic supplement. Now, that's what we are going to talk about today. Our guest for today is Emily. The company says it is Southeast Asia's first and only precision gut microbiome company and houses the region's first and only gut microbiome transplant bank. Now, it is also in the process of building the world's largest multi-ethnic Asia gut microbiome database. And the data is then used for research and for developing products and services that improve people's gut health. Now, this is apparently a lucrative market. According to Market.us, the global digestive health market, estimated to be valued at $104.4 billion US dollars by 2032, growing by a compound annual growth rate of 8.2% between 2023 to 2032. But really, how big of a market is it within Southeast Asia? And how does Emily intend to position itself to maximize growth and profits? Well, for more, let's speak to Dr. Dr. Jeremy Lim, CEO and co-founder at Emily. Dr. Lim, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me today. Great to have you on board. And Dr. Lim, Emily says it is Southeast Asia's first and only precision gut microbiome company. Take us through your value proposition, the products and services you provide more specifically. Certainly. And maybe, Tian Tian, let me take a step back and explain why we set up Emily. And Emily is a compression of three words, Asia Microbiome Library. Right. And really, we're a bunch of nerdy doctors as well as medical scientists who felt compelled to establish Emily because it became very clear in the last five to 10 years that good health begins with gut health. When we talk about digestive health or the gut microbiome, we're not talking about just health within your digestive tract. We're talking about brain health, sleep, metabolism, so obesity, diabetes, immune conditions, the entire gamut. And what's especially fascinating about the gut microbiome is that it is very, very local and regionally driven. In fact, studies have shown that the gut microbiome is at least 10 times more influenced by diet, the environment and lifestyles than by genetics. And what this simply means then is that the great science coming out of Boston, coming out of New York and San Francisco may not be applicable to us because we are very, very different in terms of our diets, in terms of our lifestyles. So many of you may have heard of particular uh, yogurts from Europe that may be good for us, but we don't live in Europe. We don't eat a European diet. The right question might be, what's the right things for us here in particularly multi-ethnic tropical Southeast Asia to consume, to optimize our health. And that was really why we as a group of academic physicians out of the National University of Singapore decided to establish Emily because we felt that this notion of one size fits all, particularly in the gut microbiome where the evidence is already overwhelming that they're very, very localized. Uh, it just didn't make sense anymore. And if you think about us, um, what we're really doing is to is to ingest a lot of 
um, data on the gut microbiome, on diet, on lifestyles, on health conditions, and through our analytical engine, analyze these and then develop products as well as services that are tailored to multi-ethnic Asia. So you had mentioned that we do gut health testing. And what we do is to take the uh is to take a microbiome sample from a customer, from a patient, and then analyze it uh, using our own proprietary uh, informatics pipeline that is built based on multi-ethnic Asian data. So let's take a look at your business model, um, Dr. Lim. I understand there are different verticals for you. One of them is to collect and perform microbiome sequencing services. Or if I understand correctly, as a layman, it means collecting stool samples and then analysing the DNA of the microorganisms inside. And that is for health professionals to better care for patients, so more on the B2B end. You also have another vertical where you develop probiotic supplements that are customized for the Asian community. So take us through which is the most important business vertical then. Certainly, Tian Tian. And we actually have got four business verticals uh, or four revenue drivers. You had articulated very nicely two of them. The first would be around gut microbiome sequencing. And with the pandemic, everyone is now very familiar with molecular sequencing. And what we do is to look at the 100 trillion microbes that are in your gut, determine what of the thousands of different strains there might be, which ones are inside your gut and in what proportions. We then compare this to our reference population, which is built on multi-ethnic Asia. right? And then based on this, uh, provide recommendations on diet, lifestyles, and really so on. That's the first revenue stream that we, and we support individuals, the so-called biohackers, as well as clinicians, doctors, and other health professionals who want to optimize their patients' um, health and health and well-being. The second revenue stream is around the supplement formulations. And what we did, and everything we do is based on data, is based on science. Uh, what we did was to take our own multi-ethnic Asia database and out of it, determine or discern what are the probiotic strains out of the hundreds of different strains we could use, which ones and in what proportions would be most suitable to us living in multi-ethnic Asia. And this is a business that we predominantly offer in Singapore, even though we have a couple of uh, overseas customers who fly in every month, every three months to get the supplements. The third would be around the fecal or the microbiome transplant service that we can talk about later. And the fourth is interestingly with the, with the food companies. Right. Today, uh, as what Hippocrates spoke about, how uh, all disease begins in, begins in the gut, we now know today very, very clearly that food is medicine. And this is the era of functional foods. Many food manufacturers as well as retailers want to not just provide sustenance, not just calories, not just, but they want to make sure that the foods that they produce, the foods that they sell are indeed good for human health. And if you think about food in three pillars or the, or the three legs of a three-legged stool, there are the macronutrients, the calories, proteins that we're all very familiar with. Then there are the micronutrients, vitamins, minerals that we're also very familiar with. But most testing agencies omit the third 
and probably equally essential leg, which is its effect on the gut microbiome. And I think there's been recent concerns around artificial sweeteners. And one of the effects or the adverse effects of artificial sweeteners is believed to be mediated through the gut microbiome. Right? And so mm. uh, quite a large number of food companies have come to us to ask us to help them to validate the health effects of their foods and work with mm. them to improve the foods that they are that they are producing from a gut microbiome perspective. And Dr. Lim, take us through your customer base. I believe you're working with uh, some of the major hospitals in Singapore, like the likes of uh, National University Hospital and the Singapore General Hospital. Do you consider them to be your clients? We work in an ecosystem, a very broad ecosystem. So everyone who is interested in the microbiome space is our partner. They are we don't really think of customers in that in that traditional sense. Um, and one and Tian Tian, one of the good and bad things about being pioneers in this field is that you have to help create the ecosystem. Right. And hence, uh, we do work with some of the research institutions and the hospitals on the commercial business where we do microbiome sequencing. We support them with the informatics, with the analysis, but we also collaborate with them in joint research. For example, uh, we have a large study together with the National Cancer Center where we look at liver, where we look at liver disease and the risk factors leading to liver cancer. Right? And this is a large uh, study helmed by my good friend, Professor Pierce, Pierce Chow, uh, who is a pioneer in this space. And I guess that's just the responsibility for us who are first movers. Right? We want to be sustainable, but we also have a responsibility to contribute to the ecosystem. And hence, our so-called customers are also partners in building out this ecosystem. Well, um, taking a broader view, Dr. Lim, how would you define the space and industry you operate in? What is your positioning strategy against your competitors? Or are you operating in a relatively uncontested arena within Southeast Asia? Well, within Southeast Asia, I would say that uh, that the biggest challenge is really market awareness and really engagement. So a rising tide will lift all ships. We wish we had competitors in this part of the world because it really, if we work together, we can uplift everybody. So um, the from a competitive landscape, um, it's very clear that in Asia, all of Asia is probably slightly behind the curve, minus the East Asian countries. Um, and so the... Companies like Viome in the US, um, uh, Zoe in the in the in the UK, or Day Two coming out of Israel. There are many microbiome modifying companies in North America and in Europe, um, but so far many of them have not come into particularly Southeast Asia. So we are on our own. But certainly the day will come when Southeast Asia becomes an attractive enough market for all of them. And then we'll need to have those discussions with, with our counterparts, whether we should collaborate, we should compete, and perhaps we should do a mixture of both. Mm. Yeah, but at least for the time being, when it comes to the microbiome space within Southeast Asia, um, we, are, we are probably the most visible of the, of the entities and, uh, and our major role in from a competitive landscape, is really to grow the market and not to defend the market. Mm, would you say that the Southeast Asian market is too nuanced when it comes to the different demographics? You have a lack of data on the Southeast Asian gut profile, which sort of deters uh, these players from coming in? Um, 
I think that the competitive mode, if I take the lingo of business, is that the microbiome is very affected by local factors, diet, lifestyle, as well as the environment. So unlike um, technology, like let's look at, say, WhatsApp or really Alphabet's products in Google search, which tend to be much more ubiquitous, much more universally scalable. It is very challenging for a foreign player outside Southeast Asia to come in and to say that I have a database of X thousand microbiome profiles. They are from XYZ country in Europe or in North America. They are predominantly Caucasian, wheat-eating population and it's the right reference population for you. So mm. that probably defines the most challenging barriers to entry for a foreign for a foreign party. Yeah. And similarly for us, uh, we have to operate and dominate in our own local market, which is Southeast Asia, mm. um, because it will be very challenging for us to go to North America and really say the say the same thing because from a scientific point of view it just doesn't make sense. Mm, okay, and uh, we love talking about money on Under the Radar, Dr. Lim. So according to Market.us, the global digestive health market is estimated to be valued at uh, $104.4 billion US dollars by 2032. We are talking about a CAGR of 8.2% uh, during the forecast period of 2023 to 2032. I must quantify though, uh, when I was reading up, the valuations mostly look at dietary interventions and probiotics and food. Yep. Uh, what is your assessment then considering the services you provide, including commercial services, testing, transplant? How big of a market is it within Southeast Asia? Uh, Tian Tian, that's a really good question. Uh, to be honest, we don't know the answer at the Southeast Asia market. It's almost like asking in the early days, how many personal computers uh, does, does the world need? And we also know that uh, people have been famously wrong. Uh, I would say that let's take a step back because the microbiome affects every facet of human health from sleep, performance, um, um, uh, risk of dementia and really so on. What we're really talking about is not the digestive health, but the overall wellness industry. And that is at least one and a half trillion US, US dollars globally. Uh, how this then cones down to Southeast Asia, I really wouldn't know, but certainly... Um, if you speak to the to the pharmacy managers, um, supplements are flying off off the shelves, and I think uh, this is particularly pronounced after the pandemic, because two things have really happened. One, we all now belatedly recognize that our health is so important to us, and the second thing is that we also realize from vaccinations from our experiences with really contracting COVID, they were all very different and there's no one size fits all, right? Um, you may have 20 friends who have had the same vaccination regime, but the side effects may be radically different. And we then ask ourselves, if that is the, exp if that is the experience that we have lived through, how can it be that 20 of you and your female friends walk into a pharmacy and you all get the same supplement. It makes no sense, right? So we do believe that, that, the, that the middle class and the affluent around the world are looking for health 
and wellness. They're looking for optimization and they're increasingly looking for personalization, recognizing that there is no one size fits all. If you're just tuning in, we're now speaking to Dr. Jeremy Lim, CEO and co-founder of Emily. Um, Dr. Lim, what would you say is the number one trend in the global digestive health market and how does that influence the way in which you take the company forward? I think that the biggest trend is the recognition that digestive health is the seat of all health and is not confined to whether it's bloatedness or diarrhea or constipation. That's really only part of it. And that what we eat, uh, how our gut microbiome behaves, how it performs, affects every aspect of of really our health. And therefore, if you look at microbiome companies the world over, there are some that focus on diabetes and obesity. There are some that focus on brain health and cognitive impairment, dementia. There are others that focus on immune function, allergies in babies and and really so on. So think of the microbiome more as a platform with multiple use use cases. For us as really Emily, uh, we have started this journey. We are still a very young company and we have started this journey focusing on gastrointestinal disease. And this is purely just the reality that, that my co-founders are prominent gastroenterologists. They are very, very deep specialists, very highly regarded in the gastrointestinal space. So diseases like liver cancer, we had discussed like inflammatory bowel disease, irritable bowel syndrome. These are our natural starting points. But as we expand and find the right partners in other areas, in immune function, in healthy aging, certainly those are other areas we would definitely go into. Mm. And talk about use cases, Dr. Lim, uh More specifically, I believe Emily is now looking at the microbiome in patients undergoing cancer therapy or immunotherapy to be more specific uh, to see what supplements uh, and diet cancer patients should take before they actually go on such therapies. So tell us more about that and the opportunities they open up for you as far as the dollars and cents are concerned. Certainly. Well, it's widely known that the field of oncology or cancer care is one of the largest in the healthcare world. I still remember this very vividly, uh, almost two and a half years ago, uh, when a study was was well published that in patients with advanced melanoma, which is a very bad type of skin cancer, who were non-responsive to immunotherapies, right? Uh, and these patients would basically be at the end of would be at the end of the line. Um, and what these clever researchers did was that they took the microbiome from patients who were responders and transplanted the responder patients' microbiomes to the non-responders. And one-third of the patients who were non-responders became responders, which was effectively the lifting of a death sentence. And this created such a big stir in the in the oncology world. And today, there are multiple studies going on everywhere to look at how modifying the microbiome modifies and changes the immune system to make us much more responsive to immunotherapies, right? And we're involved in some studies uh, with the National Cancer Centre, as well as the National University Hospital, uh, still early days, but we're very optimistic that in Southeast Asia, we will be able with our partners to identify what are the so-called optimal microbiome profiles before patients begin their cancer therapies.
Mm, so, which means if you take the uh, gut bacteria per se uh, from a patient that is responding to cancer treatment to a patient who is not responding to cancer treatment, the patient who is not responding to the treatment will eventually open up to, to the treatment as, as it goes. Uh, that was the seminal study that I had wow. described where one mm. third of the patients who were otherwise facing a death sentence became mm. responders. And we now need to, or the equivalent of double and triple click to understand what is it about the one-third of the patients who had responded? How do we make this one-third, half, two-thirds, and three-quarters? Mm. Because certainly, um, much, of, much of immunotherapy today is really around using the patient's immune system to combat cancer. And mm. then should be asking our, uh, really our, we should be asking, how then do we prime or optimize the immune system? I used to practice surgery, and in those mm. days, uh, we will look at a patient and say, wow, this patient is so skinny, unfit for the operation and still smoking. We'll tell the patient, come back in six weeks, fatten up, uh, get on a proper mm. diet, stop smoking. We send them to the physiotherapist for lung rehabilitation. And then they're in the best possible shape to undergo surgery. And this thinking is now permeating into the space of cancer care, where the mm. oncologists are asking themselves, how do I get the patient's immune system in the best possible shape before I start immunotherapy? And let's wrap up the conversation by talking about funding, Dr. Lim. Emily recently received an undisclosed amount of funding from East Ventures uh, following a $10.5 million US dollar Series A funding round last year. I believe this time round, the funds will be used to help, help you guys expand into Indonesia. What can we expect on this front? Well, we should expect us to get into Indonesia. We are very privileged to have East Ventures as our investor and also as our partner to figure out in a complex, but very, very rich in opportunity markets such as Indonesia. What's the right thing for us to do? Right? Uh, and if I take us back to where we started, we have a couple of different business verticals. We then need to mix and match and ask ourselves in each of the distinct geographies, whether it's Indonesia, whether it's in Vietnam, what is the most compelling proposition that we should put our really what's our best foot forward, what adaptations need to be made to the local markets in terms of the signs, the packaging, the price points, the, the communications. And lastly, and very critically for markets such as Indonesia, who are the right partners that we should go into market with? So certainly Emily's geographic footprint is very clear. We must be strong in Southeast Asia, Hong Kong, South Asia, and then we are ready to expand beyond. But certainly, this is only chapter one of the global microbiome story. We will need a lot of support and we've been very, very privileged, as you rightly pointed out, that we had in investors in our oversubscribed Series A last year. East came in this year and we'll announce uh, shortly some other investors who are coming on board with us because microbiome mm -hmm. science is exciting, but there's a lot that needs to be done. And so the more capital we have, the faster we can move, the deeper we can dive in, into the science. Mm, and talk about Chapter 2. I know you're writing your Chapter 2 now, expansion into <laughs> Vietnam, I believe. Take us through very quickly some of your future plans. Yes, uh, Vietnam has been quite an experience. Uh, in, in previous roles, I had done quite extensive work in Vietnam. And so the network that I have together with some of my colleagues within Emily has been very, very helpful. The Vietnamese are incredibly well-informed. 
right? Uh, the Vietnamese as a population are very well educated, very health conscious. And the Vietnamese health professional is also very, very well educated, right? Uh, and thankfully, let me make a plug for the Singapore brand. Uh, Singapore is really highly regarded in the in the healthcare space. So us coming out of Singapore, particularly coming out of the National University of Singapore has been tremendously helpful, right? And in Vietnam, the story is very, very similar to Indonesia, but more advanced. We have a group of very, very strong partners in, in Vietnam, North and South and Central. And so it's around the expansion, it's around creating the awareness, then it's all systems go. Mm. All right. Thanks a lot, Dr. Lim. That was Dr. Jeremy Lim, CEO and co-founder of Emily. Thank you very much for joining us on Money FM. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.